Welcome to a brand new episode of Getting to the Truth in This Art. I'm Rob Lee, and today I have a guest with me. Um, I'm going to go with the, the your name, and I'm going to go with the alias. I'm going to go with the whole thing. I have SJ, a.k.a. Johnny Gash, <laughs> um, here, <laughs> and um, you're a multi-talented artist, um, local to Baltimore. Which, which part of Baltimore are you in? Well, um, I grew up originally in Northwood. And I, um, then I moved to, um, Towson for school as a young kid. And then I moved back to the city, uh, once I got my own place when I was like 20 or something, but I, I've lived in Baltimore my whole life. And I briefly lived in Savannah, Georgia for like a year and a half. But other than that, it's been Baltimore city all the way. That's, that's pretty cool. I like to hear that. I like to see different, interesting, like, like people who are in and around Baltimore, it's ultimately the the goal of this show to kind of show the different personality types and the, the different people who live in and around here. Um, and what caught my attention was your 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 profile, and I saw the the Tiger King like presentation. I was just like, okay, I need to become friends. <laughs> I need to make new friends. <laughs> Yeah, the Tiger King look was really fun. Um, obviously, I don't support anything that guy does or did, but obviously, it was a very much like a pop pop culture phenomenon uh, with him coming out in the quarantine times and everyone just like getting obsessed with the show and this like wild character. And he just has such a distinct look. And I already had the haircut. <laughs> and because a bunch of people put out memes like, Oh, these are all the people, like, everyone that looks like Joe Exotic is, used to hang out at the Autobahn or, like, Two for Tuesdays or went to Micah or something like that. There was, like, all these jokes, which is, like, really funny because I never went to Micah and I, I only really, well, I mean, I used to go to the Autobahn, too, but I used to work there, too. But um, I was like, I already have the haircut. I might as well go for it. And then I thought about it. I was like, I have a fur coat. I got, I got everything I need. I'm just going to do this. <laughs> I dig it. And so, so I, I've had that before. I just didn't have like the, the gumption to, to go all the way because I kind of have a beard very similar to, um, it's an anime character, Jet Black from Cowboy Bebop. And I was like, do I want to shave my head and just go with these mutton chops and just make it happen? I was like, nah, nah, not, not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. Haven't have been able to really commit to it, but I think coming soon, I think coming soon. Um, yeah, it's always an option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So let, let's talk about your creative background a little bit. Like, give me a, not in an elevator pitch kind of way, but just give me like you, <laughs> like who are you creatively? So that is, that is a hard question, sir. Um, let's see. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think for me, my exploration of art started when I was very young. I was very lucky that while my immediate family and my parents and stuff weren't particularly artistic, I was very lucky that my paternal grandmother was an artist and she was a painter. Um, she was never, you know, successful or anything. She was a stay at home mom when she raised my dad and his siblings in the seventies. And, um, but she always maintained her art. Like she did art every single day and it, she did every kind of art. She did watercolors. She did acrylics, oils. She even, at one point got into photography and collage and then she bought a kiln and was doing clay work. And like she rented a little studio at the mill center in Hamden, um, to put the kiln and, uh, 
she used to bring me there with her and I didn't have a great home life. So my little trips with her to her studio in the mill center were, you know, very special to me and really nourished my desire to just create and explore in every medium. I never really felt limited by, you know, a medium or even a format, you know? And like, I know when you asked like, well, what kind of art do you do? I had to like think because, you know, I, I just try to make stuff all the time and I don't always even think about it as art. But then when someone says, Oh, well, what art have you made? I was like, well, I guess I did do some portraits and then I did do an acrylic painting and I guess I made some t-shirts and I was in a band and, you know, like, so I was like, all that is technically art. So I suppose I am after all an artist. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get I get very and, and thank you for sharing that. I I get very um, I guess protective of it, like just the idea. Like I, you know, as I said early on, like I've been doing this podcast thing, and I take it in that perspective of trying to do something that's unique, trying to do something that's creative, and something that I am confident I can say this is this is my art. This is the thing that kind of drives me and. I see other people having their point of view around it and their other, their approach. And they say that, Oh, we're doing the same thing. I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not at all. Yeah. Um, so what would you, well, I think say- that's a really important distinction um, is the difference between the product and the process, you know, which all artists should think about, I think. And that's helped me a lot as an artist is like, you know, the and like me and you could do the same painting. Right. Sure. And it could look similar, but our process could be, so different, you know, and like it could have taken me an hour and it could have taken you days, you know, or something like that. And it could have been, it's just, it, even if the end product is similar, I feel like everyone's process is so different. And I'm definitely more, I try to focus on the process more than the product. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, like I, I dig that. Like instead of, I think, I think I read this Basquiat book a, a couple months of months back and I just kind of remember this, obviously, with, you know, the drug stuff and all of that, where the quality of his work started kind of going away. But it was like he was using to get the product out there, not really doing his process, not doing his thing. He had this illusion that he was doing his thing, but really he was feeding his habit and he was just putting out stuff, putting out stuff. And it turns less from like art and this natural thing that you're putting energy and pieces of yourself into into more of a... I need to pay something. I need to, I need to pay this bill. So let me get this out there. You're like, somebody's giving me money. Well, now you're getting down to the brass tacks, which is the problem. The, 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 the fatal flaw in being an artist is fucking capitalism. Well, <laughs> you cannot be, it's so hard to be a real artist and have to exist in capitalism. You know, like it's how can you, like monetize being forced to monetize your art and like create to live and make a product to sell is so challenging and still to stay true to like what you want to do and what you want to create. And like, like you said, this, here he was, he was this, this amazing talented creator. And yet towards the end of his career, he was under so much pressure to produce, 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 whether or not it was quality and he felt, you know, and I'm sure so many artists go through that. I know that when I first started my cocktail business, like, you know, during quarantine, I was like, you know, I was like, I just have to get this out. You know, I have to, you know, try to, um, you know, figure out a way to make ends meet if I'm not working, you know, and, and 
it started out of a need and then it became, you know, something that was really rewarding and really, you know, another aspect of my creative process that I hadn't really examined in that way before. And, you know, so it, it, that, it did end up being, you know, a good thing, but I've definitely seen it go the other way where people are just really killing themselves trying to put out products to pay bills and they're just either not happy with the product and then they're happy or, you know, they don't put it out and then their fans get mad or they do put it out and then the fans don't like it. You know, it's like, it's hard. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember I, I used to get really attached to and putting something out like this. Like, you know, I did the whole stuff, tried to go through the whole school of the arts. I was a comic book artist and a writer and all of that different stuff. And I always kind of found like, this is my, my next thing that I'm going to do. And I can always return back to one of these other things and kind of doing a lot of different, like creative kind of like areas, creative disciplines, what have you, and just doing them, not doing them for any purpose. And I found that when this became kind of the area I wanted to focus a lot of my attention at, and I started doing things that you start having people involved that really don't know what you're doing, but they say, Oh, you can put a dollar amount on that. And it, it, it muddies it. It makes it ugly. It makes it a mess. And I remember around, um, I want to say like 2015, like around like the unrest yeah. and all of that different stuff here, I was dealing with a couple of different dudes who, they, they thought they knew my product better than I did. And um, I, I partnered with them because it was a great opportunity for me to learn a few different things. And they were kind of like, kind of assholes. But I was just like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to suck this one up. Right. And, and one of the things that um, my boy put me on to my co-host, he was just like a lot of, a lot of vague, kind of vague racial jokes or what have you that are kind of sticking out. I'm like, uh, I'm kind of sacrificing things that, you know, I'm not, this isn't really congruent to my values. And it was, it was getting stupider, right. By, by the moment. And I think the, the biggest thing that hit me was, um, it was a lot of shit to say. They had a lot of shit to say about Baltimore. They weren't local. And that was the thing. I was just like, all right. I was like, yeah, <laughs> we got issues here. And I just mm-hmm. turned into, I just kind of hit myself. I was like, I'm better than you, dude. I, like, I know all of this stuff and just started going through mm-hmm. it and just having trust in one, my product, what I do, because the reason I connected with this guy was he said he could f- solve some of my problems I had creatively and kind of get me out of this rut I was in. And it was kind of like this fake, it wasn't really a, a, abusive, but it was kind of like you're overstepping. <laughs> and um and I think once I got to a place where I was more confident in what I'm doing and just kind of like eh, whatever I know what I'm doing that right. I, I was I was better I was better I think It's all about confidence if there's one thing I have learned it's just like you got to be confident in yourself and even if like you're like that's why it's so good for me to like be more about the process because if I if I focus too much on the product, that's when I'll start like kind of breaking myself down. Be like, well, you could have done it better this way. Well, you know, what if you had done it? I wish you had thought of that. You know, all those kind of second guessing things. And like when when you just focus on enjoying the process, and then when it's made, you just let it go, and you're just like, it's made. I let it go into the world, and this is it. And it's not perfect, and it you know. Maybe it wasn't what I initially set out to make, but here it is. And hopefully someone will like it. (laughs) 
So, so when you're producing anything, because you're, you're, you're producing a lot of distinct things and, and that's really good with that. Do you collaborate with anyone? Are you working with other parties to kind of put forth your creative? Oh, absolutely. Collaboration is crucial in my opinion. Um, Other people just have always helped elevate my vision. And um, I have a lot of, um, other artist friends that I lean on for feedback. Um, one of them is one of my closest friends. Um, she's a singer songwriter uh, named uh, Josephine Olivia. She has a couple of bands and a couple of solo projects. Um, uh, Airtex with her partner and um, Bosch, I believe is her solo project and is very talented singer and uh, musician. And uh, we, we lean on each other a lot. Um, you know, when she was picking out, photos for her album cover you know she sent me a couple options and you know asked me which one I thought I liked best and why and I told her and she ended up picking that one you know and it's like we we help each other out a lot with artistic stuff and she's been really great about you know giving me good feedback and constructive feedback and you know because you don't want someone who's just going to be like a yes man you know you don't want someone just like oh you're great you're great you're great you're great you know you want someone to be able to be like this is great but we could what about this you know Mm -hmm. and um, you know, with, uh, with, I think I just sent you some of those t-shirts that yes. I d- designed and, um, you know, the one, the, the Dolly Parton one is just, you know, Photoshop, but the, the Rihanna metal shirt, I actually drew by hand with like a white fabric paint marker on black canvas and then scanned it. And then, uh, Scott Archer, who runs black collar screen printing, which is a small independently run screen printing business in Charles village. I guess it's closer to Mount Vernon. Um, uh, he printed all the shirts for me. He also printed all the band shirts that we did for my old cop band, Clef Lev. Um, and, you know, obviously a band is very collaborative. Um, I entered that band having never been in a band before and never having played drums. And I just basically learned the drums to play in this band because I had always wanted to be in a goth band. You know, I love The Cure when I was a kid and Susie and the Banshees and all that stuff. And I still do. And it was like kind of, you know, uh, you know, along those lines. And, um, it was really fun. It was a great experience. I got to fulfill a lot of, um, you know, life goals of, you know, performing out of, you know, I got to play at Metro Gallery where I also work as a bartender and I've always wanted to play on that stage. It's my favorite venue in the whole city. I know I'm biased because I work there, but <laughs> um, the owner, Sarah, you know, it's a, you know, she's one of the best bosses I've ever had in my life. Like I, I, I actually consider her more of a friend than a boss, to be honest. Um, it's a very communal workspace. It's a very small staff. We all help each other. You know, I help them build their cocktail program there. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and, and that's where I've seen some of the best shows in my life as a bartender, you know, like work bartending, some of like the craziest bands, like, and now of course I can't think of any of them, but like, you know, I saw like Satine, which is like a small, um, two person group. That's, um, a trans woman and her partner. And they are just this amazing, beautiful duo. And they had the show there was like, so insane. They had like everyone do like a walk, like a, you know, a runway walk. And they like picked out everyone that had the, you know, craziest outfits and like everyone got to start their stuff. And it was just this like really empowering, loving environment. It's just like, and Metro Valley also just is so diverse as far as the type of music, you know, they have, you know, rap and hip hop shows, they have goth shows, they have heavy metal, punk, you know, drag shows, pop music, dance parties, you know, and everything in between. So it's like, I just really love that about it. And I think the sound is great. And it's a great room. And, 
you know, it's definitely being around all of those artists and musicians all the time, even just working as a bartender, because it also functions as an art gallery. And yeah. they're always, every month they rotate the artists, so I get to see a different art show every month. I miss working there so much. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I only work there one day a week because I, I do tree or I used to do tree work, you know, regularly uh, during the week. And then Friday nights, I would still bartend there because I couldn't give it up. You know, I loved it. And, uh, uh, you know, I get to see a different show every Friday night and like a new artist on the walls every month and meet new people and talk to other artists and musicians. And, you know, I, I try to glean as much from everyone that I meet as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, even with my cocktails, you know, a couple of, there's a lot of out of work bartenders right now. And, uh, they're all sitting at home making stuff like my friend, Emily, who, uh, works at, uh, you know, golden West for years and, um, Ida B's table and, uh, rituals. Um, she did this homemade Amaro that was like amazing. That had like mint and gentian and like Angelica and like all these wild flavors. And, you know, she sent me a sample and I made a couple really good cocktails with it. So I'm going to, you know, use her tomorrow in like my cocktails in the future. And then my friend Gerard, who's a bartender at like Golden West and Auto Bar and all these other places, he's making syrups. So like I bought some of his syrups to use in my cocktails, you know? So it's like, I want to include as many people as I can. Like basically anybody that wants to collaborate with me, I'm always open to it. I'm open to everybody's um, ideas. And I, I always feel, even if I don't end up using it or, I, even if I don't like it, you still learn something from it, you know, because you're like, okay, now I know I don't like that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Um, I, I, I dig that. Like, I think, so the, so within, in your experience, within like, like Baltimore, do you think that the, the art scene is, is a little cliquish or it, is it kind of open to collaboration? Because every every person I've done, this is the I think fifteenth or sixteenth episode of this podcast. They've all had varying mm-hmm. answers. Now, granted, they kind of do different things, what have you. So, I just want to get your take on that. Do you do you think it's like people are open to that collaboration, generally speaking, or is it kind of like you know someone and then you connect with somebody and so on? You travel in similar circles, or how do you think collaboration really works in and around Baltimore? So I like I agree with you that it really depends on what you're doing. And as far as my perspective, I'm very much on the kind of underground side of things. Like I don't know anything about like fine art or like fancy galleries or like I went to art school for exactly one semester and I did get straight A's, but <laughs> I did not uh, go back because I could not unfortunately uh, get any more uh, student loans. But um I, I had one glorious semester at art school, but, you know, outside of that, I don't really know anything about fine art or, you know, anyone who makes more than probably, you know, $70,000 a year. So, you know, my, my expertise uh, as far as that kind of stuff is, is not exactly uh, up to date, but I will say that in my experience, um, at least in the community that I travel in these days, which is the queer community in Baltimore that is very involved with music and art. Um, and they are very much open to collaboration. In fact, I've, you know, since I, you know, kind of moved away from the like more hetero culture and scene and more into the queer scene, I felt much more, um, you know, uh, accepted and people much less clickish, um, in the, in the queer scene. It's much more kind of, uh, open and, and fluid, even if you will, pun intended, uh, <laughs> about, um, you know, 
it's just, I, I think something kind of happens in a lot of like perceived, um, what do you say, heteronormativity about how groups can kind of get together. You know, like when you're in a hetero couple, it's like, oh, you hang out with other couples and you talk to other couples and like, maybe you have like one single friend and you, they're, you're, they're sad and you, you know, you take them with you or whatever. <laughs> but like when you're like a free agent in the queer community, it's like, and even if you're in a couple, like the couples are just like so much more like, oh yeah, you know, and you know, maybe some of them are poly, maybe they're not, who knows, but it's just a very, you know, much more just accepting, open, like loving kind of situation I, in my experience. And I've just had endless people want to work with me and, and, and help me with doing what I'm doing. And like so much support when I like posted on Instagram that, you know, I was struggling with my finances due to COVID and couldn't, my unemployment was, you know, not coming through and all this stuff. And, um, people just like stepped up and started buying stuff for me. They're like, okay, I'll take a portrait. I'll take a drink. I'll take a, you know, make, make, you know, I bake bread too. And I cook and stuff They're like, Oh, I would take, I'll take three loaves of bread. I'll take, you know, and, um, it was awesome. It felt, I felt so safe and I felt so like, it's like, Oh, they saw a need and they, they were like, okay, well, I got my unemployment, so I'll buy some, I'll buy something from you, you know? And, uh, it, it was just really great. And I felt really supportive. And then on top of that, you know, other people messaging me at, you know, Emily messaged me about her tomorrow, but I just like happened to see that Gerard was making syrups and I hit him up and I said, can I, you know, could I try some of those in my cocktails? And he was like, of course. And, um, you know, uh, there's some other people, uh, my friend, Eileen, who's uh, from Brazil and um, she is an herbalist and she also works at Hex Ferments, which is an amazing um, uh, stall in Belvedere Square. They're still operating because I think they're doing like carry out, but they make all these amazing like kimchi and sauerkrauts and different types of fermented foods with all sorts of like different herbal kind of additives for different things. And, and then she's also like an herbalist on the side. Um, she was actually, she just graduated from an herbalism program and she um, gives me all of my herbs that I work with um, and in exchange for other things. Like that's the other thing is like, since all this stuff, I've been doing a lot of bartering and trading with other <laughs> artists for goods and services. And it has been radical. I love it. I absolutely love it. Like I literally went to her house and cut down three trees in her yard for free. And then she's like, okay, here's all the herbs you could ever want forever. And I was like, thank you. I think that was, that was something that we, we talked about a little bit. Um, so I, I think like when you find your, your group and, it, and it's like, it may not be like the group that you're associated with at a particular moment may not be the group you're supposed to be with. Like I've always, I can travel in multiple circles. I pretty much, I get along with multiple people, with different types of people, whatever. The same way. And well, it's Aquarius, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I think once I kind of found the improv community, like I record on Fridays across the street, like at, at big at the uh, Baltimore improv group. So I didn't know you were at the Metro gallery, but, um, I, once, so funny. I, once I went there and um, we did our um, 10th anniversary show there, like I sent you the video of it. And we, it was yeah. like, you know, a culmination of me doing this for X amount of, in X amount of years. And it was like one of the greatest moments um, for me. And, I was an asshole up until it because I was just like, I had the nerves around and I wanted to produce good stuff. And I was not really focused on the product. I mean, I was focused more on the product than the process because I felt that the process was good and where it was going to be at. And then I was like, all right, I need to try to control this product because, you know, people bought tickets and all of that. And at a point I just let mm -hmm. it go 
and I felt like I put on a good show and I was like, it's out of my hands now. And it was just a really mm-hmm. good experience. And just being in that kind of improv community and being around people who are from various walks of life, various backgrounds, a lot of people from not even from Baltimore, just different places. And, you know, they think I'm an improv person. It's like, oh no, you got, you're, you're the guy that's always in a podcast studio. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, Rob, you know, and, and just kind of being there mm-hmm. and seeing what they're into and kind of, kind of getting like passive notes of like, oh, well, do you guys go over any of this stuff before you record? It's like very little. Everything is just off the top of the dome. And they were like, wow, that's, why don't you do improv? Yeah. I was like, I'm intimidated. I, I can't do improv. I can't do it. <laughs> you know. And I think when we get back to some degree of normalcy, may, maybe there will be something that kind of just spread my wings and try. And that takes, I think you should. Probably. I think, <laughs> <laughs> so it takes me to my, my next question. Um, Cause these are all questions I've been drinking just so you know, and these are all questions that I didn't even write down. So this question here risks. So I'm having a beer currently. So don't feel weird. I am. I think I'm drinking an old fashioned. I got from Dutch courage and it's a lot stronger than I thought it was going to be. And the guy told me it was strong. I'm hearing his voice in my head right now. It's like, it's really strong. <laughs> just so you know. So nice. risk. Um, what, what do you say, what would you say one of your biggest risks as a creative has been like putting yourself out there, like do the, like the COVID stuff that can be a little risky, but or, or what have you, but what would you say is one of the biggest risks that come to mind when you think about creating and putting something out there for maybe just someone to consume? Cause I think part of art is consumption though. Absolutely. Um, you know, even if you take money out of the equation, you know, there's other, we are a social animal. We care what other people think about us, whether we admit it or not. Um, it's in our nature. It's how we survive. Um, we have to care what others think because we use others to, you know, understand what's going on around us. Um, and, uh, you know, ideally, you know, for me, my only goal ever when I create something is to make someone feel something. And I don't care if it's hate. If they hate it. Like if I painted a really hideous, terrifying painting and like one person was like, Oh my God, that's hideous. I can't look at it. I'd be like, I succeeded. You know, I'd be like, <laughs> this person was so affected by my work that they couldn't look at it. You know, like yeah. that, that, that is the, you know, kind of what I worry about. But as far as the risk, the biggest risk I have to say, I mean, obviously COVID is dangerous and I've been quarantined at my house and I only go out to make, you know, deliveries of, of things I sell to people, but, and I, you know, I drop it on their porch and then text them that it's there and there's no contact and there's, you know, and I sanitize and mask and all that stuff. But, you know, you still have to go to the grocery store and, you know, with the kind of stuff that I need to shop for, I can't really order online or have people, I, you know, I need to go pick out my produce. I need to go smell my fruit, you know, like I can't yeah. have, you know, I'm not going to order my fruit from where Amazon warehouse. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I go, but then I try to support, you know, I go to, um, you know, the Asian grocery stores because they have much better like produce and stuff. And they're, they've been handling this shit way better. Like from the get, like even before there was anything here, like I would go to the Asian grocery store and they all already had masks and plexiglass and everything like way before anybody else. And I was like, this is the spot to shop. This is the safe <laughs> spot. Like, and also nobody was going there because everyone's racist. And they're like, Oh, Chinese virus. I'm not going to H Mart. I'm just like, Oh my God. <laughs> you know, everyone's fucking terrible. But um, anyway, so the biggest risk I think I made in my life to be an artist was basically deciding that being 
you know, quote unquote normal or achieving, you know, what are considered like milestones of success in your life were not important to me. You know, like I decided very early on that I didn't care about getting married. I didn't care about buying a house or having children. In fact, I was very sure from a very young age that I did not want to have biological children, but I very much have always wanted to adopt children. My two best friends growing up were adopted. So I've always wanted to adopt a child. Um, but you know, that would be something that you plan for, you know, you're like sure. really ready when you adopt the kid. And, um, you know, I've never, never really had the desire to have a biological child. So I was lucky in that. And I know a lot of people, you know, you can't help it. You want to do it, you know, and it's, it's natural. You're programmed to do it. It's totally understandable. I don't shade anybody for doing it. It just wasn't something that I wanted. And um, basically I, I realized, I think, you know, my whole life growing up, I was, you know, my dad was really, really hard on me to be successful. Um, and he, you know, had really high expectations of me. I, I tested really well from a young age. Um, he was always trying to get me pushed ahead in school to skip grades. And, um, you know, the teachers wouldn't let me because I wasn't, you know, I was a kid. I wasn't, you know, you shouldn't, I think skipping grades is terrible. I think it does, you know, you put a little kid, like, why is a 16 year old in college? That's a bad idea. <laughs> you know, I agree. like, <laughs> He's going to get drunk at a fat party and get alcohol poisoning and maybe die, you know, <laughs> what right. they, you know, but, um, anyway, uh, I didn't get to head luckily and, and was able to, you know, well, attempt to age naturally in school outside of my, you know, dysfunctional home life. But, you know, it, it, I was put under a lot of pressure to be academically, um, perfect essentially. Um, and, I was told basically from a young age, there's not going to be any money for you for college. Um, if you want to go to college, you have to figure it out yourself. My suggestion is that you get really good at sports and really good at school and really good at all the extracurriculars and just be the perfect college candidate. And then maybe you can get a scholarship. Um, and so that was my message from like day one, the earliest thing I can remember about being, you know, needing to do stuff right. And so, you know, I busted my butt all through you know, elementary, middle school, you know, and then I got to high school and I just started to realize that adults were all miserable. And like, I started to realize that maybe the whole thing, like go to college, get a job, get married, have a kid, be a productive member of society. And I was like, I don't know if that's what I want to do. I was like, that looks like it sucks. And um, all those people are sad and mad and, you know, hate their kids and hate their wife, <laughs> you know, or that's what it felt like to me in the situation I was in. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't want to be one of these people. Like I want to fucking do my own thing and, you know, figure it out. And like, maybe, you know, I always, I was definitely always one of those people that fantasized about being able to somehow live without having to work, you know, like even like, you know, live in a van down by the river, like whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, exist outside of like these insane capitalist society demands of like constant productivity and constant, you know, work. And like, you're never working hard enough. And you've never, if you even take a break to rest, you're being lazy, you know, like how dare you, you know, it's like, it's so funny because you get all of these, these messages from, you know, the world that's like, you know, if you don't have enough money, it's your own fault. And you just need to work harder and do better. And then, then you'll be successful. And if you're not successful, it must be something you're doing wrong because it's certainly not the system, you know, and uh, just made to carry all this guilt on yourself for your lack of, you know, financial stability or career success when there's really like every obstacle in the world in front of you. 
uh, if you weren't born into, you know, money or, or, or at least upper, you know, middle or upper middle class where you have money, you don't have to worry about paying for college. You know, you know that even if your parents didn't save, they'll be able to take out loans for you and like, or at least would co-sign on your loans. Like I had no co-signer. I had no, you know, I couldn't get anything. So, you know, it, and that was also where it hit home for me when I realized that like the, the normal option really isn't available to me because I don't have the financial resources. And even though I'm really smart, uh, I still can't get enough of a scholarship to go for free. And they're even like, I got this, I went to Savannah college of art and design for one semester. That's my one semester art school. I got a 50% scholarship there. And even with a 50% scholarship, there was still $9,000 for a semester. Um, including room and board, which I guess now is not that bad. But like at the time I was like, I don't have $9,000. Like what am I supposed to do? And I like talked my grandparents and, you know, my artist grandma into co-signing for that one semester. And basically I got straight A's at the time of my life and got back. And my grandma was like, I'm really sorry, but our accountant says we can't co-sign on any more loans. It's like a financial risk for us because we're nearing our end of life. And like, if you can't pay these loans back and we're responsible, like, and we're like dying in a nursing home, like, we can't have that like on our heads or something like that. And I was just like, wow. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm not going back to high school. Um, and then I, you know, went to Towson university for a little while and hated it and dropped out. Um, but it's just like, uh, one of those things where it's like, I just realized that like the regular way was never going to work for me because a, I didn't, I wasn't rich enough and I would never be rich enough to be able to afford to go to like regular college um, I should have gone to community college, but you know, everyone, it, I was educated in a very unfortunate time in the early 2000s where like they were really pushing that, um, liberal arts for your college is the only way to be a real adult situation for some reason. And it was like, it was just like, if you don't go to a four year liberal arts, arts school, you aren't like a cultured, educated person. And like, everyone should go to that and blah, 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 which was like the biggest fucking mm-hmm. scam oh my god everyone i know that's got a four-year <laughs> is like wishes they never they're like in a hundred grand of debt and they like work at an ad agency and they hate their fucking life it's, you know? <laughs> like, tr- it's trash it's garbage uh and i think like in very very similar in, in, in listening you know what you were saying like i i had my whole like time and being in college and you know doing all of that finished you know and did the whole business degree because I had this pie in the sky idea. I'll just go to an art school and just be this. And I was like, mm, I think about like maybe junior year in high school. I was like, yeah, I can do both. I was like, I think I have enough talent specifically in the, the what I want to do. And I don't like following rules. So I'll pick something that's kind of rigid that I can try to split, make money in this area and sell part of my soul. And then the other part of the day is just like, all right, now it's time for me. I need to fund this. And then now the rest of the time is for me. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really get to that balance until, you know, years later, like to, to your, your thing about like financial stability, like I did the whole rat race and I get burned out after two years and I just said, look, I need to be a podcast. I need to start recording stuff. I need to get this shit out of me. And I bought mm-hmm. a bunch of audio equipment from Best Buy and I learned everything that I could as a podcaster. And I know how to do every component of the shit. And that was the balance for me. That was the thing for me. It's just like, all right, me going to the job is now funding this creative endeavor. And I can do a lot more at this job. I could chase that brass ring or what have you in the different jobs I've had. But 
no, I, this is serving a, a purpose and this is serving the purpose right. of funding me creatively and knowing that I can kind of do both. And sometimes the balance gets a little out of whack, but it's, it's something that I think that I'm uniquely equipped to do. Um, but we'll be wrapping up like right now, actually. <laughs> and this is, this is, and this has been great. So here's a great opportunity. Um, I like to call this segment a shameless plug. So tell me where they can, you know, tell me where we can find your stuff, where we can buy stuff from you. Um, I will be buying something from you after all of this is done. Um, but yes, hit us up with your socials and all of that good stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so my main account is my uh, drag persona, Johnny Gash, who is also kind of me. I, I go by SJ or Johnny. Uh, feel free to call me either. Um, also, they, him, pronoun. Um, and so that account is on Instagram. It's uh, Johnny underscore Gash underscore. And um, that's where I sell like uh, my t-shirts and other stuff like that and my portraits and other art. And then my cocktail account is SJ period HBIC. Um, and that stands for SJ's Herbal Filed Infused Cocktails. Um, ah. or, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, it can stand for many things. And, um, you know, uh, but anyway, that's my Instagram. And, um, basically, um, we sell like the recipe of the cocktail and it's like, you're not paying for the drink, you're paying for the service and uh, the service of making the cocktail. And it's like a tip. And then the cocktail is like the gift. So, um, basically you, I have all the cocktails that I've made so far on the page. You can pick one of those, I have different size options. I also have spirit free cocktails and cocktails that just have CBD, um, and, uh, other stuff for people that don't drink alcohol. I can make low acid stuff, all, like any dietary restrictions. I can make you some custom, no worries. And, um, uh, we do delivery and pickup in the Baltimore area and, um, yeah, everything's homemade from scratch. That's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking of coming up with a persona for myself, um, Bob Gnarly, but I don't know if it's going to work out. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm going to hit you after this, but I at least want to thank you for coming on. This has been a treat. Um, very informative and yeah, it's good it was to just talk odd with you. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, thank everyone for listening. Uh, this has been Rob Lee for SJ, Johnny Gash, all of this. Uh, this has been Getting True to Truth in This Art. And um, until next time, uh, art's all throughout Baltimore. You just have to look for it.